if you manage your pipeline based on how you sell and your perception of the conversation, you're gonna miss all the key questions and all the key conversation points to truly help that prospect become more objective in their debate and evaluation. When you think about your pipeline, do you consider how it's managed from the viewpoint of your prospect? It may seem like an odd question, but it's one worth asking. In my conversation with Dan, he shares why you might want to rethink your approach to pipeline management if you want to take your performance to the next level. Let's jump in. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. So Dan, you've been in sales for like 100 years. So what have you seen from your experience as far as how sales organizations are tracking their prospect pipelines? Well, Kylie, after 100 years, (laughs) I have a lot of memories I got to sort through. (laughs) You know, it's funny. We've never hit on this topic and it's so important. Most sales organizations and individuals do a pipeline tracking system based on where the sales professional thinks they are in their sales process. But it's about the prospect and where the prospect is within their decision-making process. So being in a sales, like you said, for 100 years, okay? (laughs) I rounded down. You rounded down. Thank you. (laughs) I remember so many times from an organization standpoint, individual standpoint, where we would measure, and I've seen this day in, day out with our current clients or other businesses, where everybody measures based on where they think they are in the sales process. Like 25% to close would mean that we had a first conversation, we learned X, Y, and Z, and we found some pain. Okay, great. That's where you think you are from a sales standpoint, but how did that prospect leave the meeting? What's on their mind? And then you go to like 50% to close. 50% to close might be that we better defined the pain, we gave a demo, and the prospect agreed to receive a presentation or a pitch as next steps. Okay, again, you did the demo, you gave the pitch, Yes, maybe the prospect agreed to receive official presentation, but how did they still leave that meeting? What was on their mind? What are they thinking about now a day or two or a week or two after that meeting? And then you get to the 75% to close, right? Which is we've identified all the decision makers. We've asked all the questions. We found the pain. You know, we gave a demo. This is our fourth meeting. They said they were going to make a change, all of that. And so we're 75% to close. We got something to quote. Yeah. We've qualified them. I love that. We've qualified them. Yeah. As a fit for us. All right. But again, how did your prospects leave the meeting? What are they thinking about? So for example, how many times have you been in a meeting 
And at the end of the meeting, where there was a second, third, or fourth meeting, a presentation or whatever it might have been, and that prospect looks at you and says, this has been fantastic. This has been great. You've given us a lot to think about. Give us about two or three weeks and let's connect then and uh, we'll go from there. We'll let you know what we're going to do. All the time. Right. But let's backtrack now. What does everybody think happens when that occurs? It went great. They loved us. But the prospect's going to leave the meeting and they're going to go about their normal business. At some point, let's pretend there were three individuals on the prospect's team that have sat through the process and the presentation. Those three individuals at some point are going to connect via email, maybe a couple days later, maybe a week later, could even be two weeks later, right? Or not at all, but let's pretend they do connect. What do you guys want to do? Do you guys want to meet? Do you want to discuss the proposal? All of a sudden, reality sets in. One of your prospects says, well, you know, I do like the presentation. I like what they had to say. We got a lot going on right now. Are we sure this is the time we want to be taking on another change, something new in our business? Another one of the prospects responds, yeah, you know, I kind of agree. I know we've outgrown our current partner, but at the same time, they've done a decent job. Maybe there's a few adjustments our current partner could make. Help us buy another six or nine months or another year on this. You know, give us a little bit more time to really figure out what we want to do in this situation. Or, hey, we can go back to our current advisor and show them this price and drive down our current pricing and then we don't need to make a change. At least not for now. That is a very common occurrence because as we've talked about in past episodes, human nature is to avoid variability. So now you got these three prospects who have left the meeting. Yeah, they may have enjoyed the presentation or the demo. Yes, they may have told you that they're going to think through a decision. They're going to let you know in two or three weeks. But again, reality kicks in, biases kicks in, all right? The need to stay comfortable, the need to avoid uncertainty kicks in. And that real world of your prospect, it's so much easier for them at that point to then try to buy time and push the decision out. And then they'll spend their energy talking themselves into why status quo makes sense. Here's the thing about pipeline. If you manage your pipeline based on how you sell and your perception of the conversation, you're going to miss all the key questions and all the key conversation points to truly help that prospect become more objective in their debate and evaluation. We always call it here is, you know, that meeting that none of us are ever invited to when the prospect sits down, and they try to debate change. Well, how good are any of us at being objective on our own? We're not. Terrible. We suck at it. Yeah. So making the switch to how your prospect might be thinking and feeling and how they're assessing change is a huge factor. Dan, there's two themes I picked up on as you were talking through all of this. One, we as salespeople make it about us. And two... We're not asking the questions that could potentially tell us the truth about where the prospect's actually at. That is correct. Again, I don't understand why we do 25%, 50%, 75%, or 90% to close. And I don't understand how we assess that based on what we want and what we see in terms of our sales process. Because it's not about us. It's all about the prospect having 
to debate and evaluate a decision to make change or not make change. And so why not take the pipeline and how you manage your pipeline and how you evaluate it and evaluate it based on the prospect's decision-making process. So what would that look like, Dan? Well, we can keep it simple. So let's break down the decision-making process that we as human beings go through. One of the stages that we go through is we go through fact-finding. So as fact-finding stage, we're just looking for the facts. So if I want to fly from here to Los Angeles, the fact-finding for me is going to be, all right, what time are the flights? Are there direct flights? How much do the flights cost? Does it get me in in time for my meetings? And do I get out in time conveniently to be I can come home? Those are some core facts. Now I could throw some other facts in there like, okay, do I have miles that I could use? Do I have any kind of uh, status where I can get some upgrades based on how much I use that particular airline? Those are still all facts. That's the first thing we all go through when we're trying to assess making a decision or assessing change. One of the next steps that we go through is what's called impact. This is a critical step that most sales professionals completely miss. Impact is when you take the facts and you start to assess the future narrative or the future impact of those facts. So for instance, if I see that the flight gets me into Los Angeles five hours early and it's direct and there's a good price to it, the actual impact might be is, well, that, you know what, that gives me a little time to get to the hotel maybe get a little bit more work done at the hotel, grab a nice lunch. I'm not going to feel rushed and then I'll get to my meeting. I'll feel rested and I'll enjoy a little bit of time in Los Angeles. That's impact. Or the flight coming home. Maybe the flight coming home, one option is fairly priced, well-priced, but one option is expensive. But maybe I choose the expensive option flying home because I have a family commitment that's very important to me. So the impact is I'm going to pay the extra because of the family commitment. It's important to me and I don't want to miss it. Well, and if I'm selling you the airline ticket, hypothetically, we have computers for all this now, but hypothetically, if I'm selling you the airline ticket and you haven't shared with me that you have a family obligation, how am I going to know that? You wouldn't. Yeah. We have to ask better questions to elicit some of that information. And sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's private information that people don't feel comfortable revealing. That could be it. You know, that's part of that honesty and vulnerability that we talk about. You know, are we asking questions that drive honest answers? And are we asking those second and third level questions that can drive the vulnerable answers? But in this case, the facts are all those price, timing, logistics types of information. The impact is what is the, again, future results, future experience, future narrative of those facts. And we always make decisions based on the impact. Now, the last part is called conviction. And so conviction is when we ask ourselves, why is that important to me? So in this instance, again, if I choose the more expensive flight and I'm going to come home because I have a family commitment that's important for me to make sure that I make it, why is that important to me? Well, it's a, maybe a memory. It's an experience. 
So I've gone all the way from, yeah, that flight costs $500 and this flight costs $800. So I've gone from the $800 fact to the family commitment that's important to me. And then all of a sudden, why is it important to me? That's what drives the decision. And if you think about it for our listeners, think about how you decide on restaurants. You'll quickly assess the fact of the restaurant, whether new or whether it's one that you're very comfortable with and familiar with and you enjoy. And you'll go from the facts really quick to the impact of your experience. And then at some point, you'll quickly connect the why behind why is that experience important to you, whether it's going to be a new experience at a new restaurant or a familiar experience with a familiar restaurant. It still comes down to the conviction piece. Well, and you bring up a great point, Dan, that sometimes when our prospects get to conviction, the decision doesn't make sense to us from the outside looking in, right? If I'm selling you that airline ticket and I'm saying, Dan, this is the cheaper option, you should go with the cheaper option. And maybe I subconsciously know, hey, that plane is almost full. If I can get that plane full because I have an extra incentive to fill a plane so you getting the cheaper ticket helps me out and I keep pushing my agenda and trying to get you to get to that that cheaper ticket, there's going to be something emotional that's drawing you to the other flight. Well, in that case, you have a bias. You are serving what's important to you. And it has taken over what you're listening for, what you're asking, and what you're telling me. But at the same time, if I have connected impact on why I want the more expensive flight, and I have connected and gained conviction on why that outcome of the expensive flight and getting me home at the right time is important to me. It doesn't matter what your pursuit or intent is. I'm sticking to my narrative. So every one of your prospects that you've ever sat with and that you will ever sit with will go through a phase or a process is a better terminology of connecting some facts and comprehending facts to connecting impact to either gaining conviction to make a change or gaining conviction to not make a change. And the challenge is, Kylie, sometimes the facts can be juicy. You could have an hour or two hour meeting, depending on what you're selling and the complexity of the situation and, and the solution that are all facts. Because facts are easy for us to discuss. Facts are easy for your prospects to share. We've all grown our current provider. Hey, we feel like we could be doing better in this area. We're not getting any kind of strategic guidance, anything like that. And then you can go into depth and find all the pain and all the challenges that are, that are within that, that theme. Those are still facts. And then what happens is most sales professionals then leap from the facts all the way to pitching and presenting. And what they miss is they miss the two most important pieces that another human being, in this case, the prospect, has to go through to make a change, which is connecting impact and gaining conviction. So why wouldn't we measure pipeline based on how prospect has to make that decision for change or no change? If I'm looking as a sales professional to improve, I'm going to look at my pipeline, right? And I'm going to say, okay, where do my prospects get stuck? 
And if I'm looking at the traditional pipeline, it says 25% to um, close, 50% to close, 75% to close. What am I going to do? I'm going to look at things like, okay, well, we never got to presentation. So we need to get better at pushing or persuading and convincing for presentations because we never got to it. And that's why they didn't buy. Or we weren't able to give the demo. So we didn't build enough value and we weren't good enough at communicating our value. So we never got to do the demo. It's like, are you kidding? Are you spending that much time and effort as an organization worrying about your value proposition because you didn't get enough chances as you did your pipeline dissection to provide a demo? Your value proposition has got nothing to do with it. You didn't ask the right questions. And the prospect might have been stuck at fact. And because they were stuck in fact and they never thought forward about impact, they never truly saw the value of hearing about your demo. That's the problem. Dan, you mentioned value proposition, and I hear this term a lot. And the issue I have with it is, again, we make it about us. Who determines what that value proposition is? Typically, when you get trained as a new salesperson, you're trained on what the company's value proposition is. How do we know that that's in touch with what the prospect finds valuable? It's a good question, Kylie. The reality is most don't. I mean, at the end of the day, the prospect defines the value proposition. They're the ones that have to connect fact, impact, and determine if they're willing to gain conviction toward change or not making a change. And salespeople can't dictate that. You know, when I, when I think about it, if you go and you do a pipeline review with a sales professional right now, Many of them are going to end up having this type of conversation with you. Well, we think it's 75% to close because number one, we found some pain. Number two, we were able to give a demo and we've scheduled now a final presentation. Number three, during our last conversation, they asked a lot of buying questions. And then, you know, number four, they told us they were open to making a change. So that's why it's 75% to close. Okay. So if you start to look at your pipeline more so in the eyes and the experience of your prospects, that analysis is going to sound very different. You might say to yourself, well, there's 75% to close because number one, we were able and they were able to acknowledge and identify some challenge areas that they have in their business. Two, we were able to help them think through and discuss what options do they have to solve those challenges? Three, they were able to vocalize the whole future narrative of what happens if they spend the time and the effort and the money solving those challenges and what happens if they don't spend the effort, time, and money solving those challenges. And then four, they were able to say why one or the other was important to them. That would be an instance where a prospect is 75% to close. And guess what happens now when the prospect leaves the room to go have that decision conversation, you know, the one that none of us are invited to. It's very hard for them to slip back into the biases that drive status quo because 
they were able to identify and communicate impact and acknowledge it. And then they were able to put the why behind that impact. So it becomes much harder for a prospect to slip into no decision or no change if you help them with impact and conviction. Well, and I think to kind of close the loop on the value proposition point, each organization is going to identify different challenges. They're going to identify different reasons to make a change or not make a change. So having a value proposition really makes no sense because each organization is going to find value in different areas. There's no one-size-fits-all value proposition that you have to offer. I don't think so either. I think a lot of our listeners are dealing with some degree of a complex sale. I think they have a mix of product and service as part of their offering. And maybe some of them have product service and the intellectual property component as part of their offering. And so when you think about that, you're spot on. There, there won't be a one-size-fits-all value proposition. Hardly the case. And it almost is whatever they find conviction is in is what they find the value. That's what their value proposition is. It's whatever they find conviction in. And for us to have one value prop, it's us guessing that you have a family event to get home to and you're going to pay the, the higher flight price to get there. Yeah. And that example, Kylie, you're spot on. The value proposition is my why behind why it's important for me to get home and experience and participate in that family event. It's why you're paying the extra $300 and it makes no sense to anybody who didn't ask the question. Correct. You talked about taking a look at the areas of the pipeline where our prospects are falling off. So if we're going to decide where to invest training and development, how do we do that? When you look at a pipeline and you see certain levels of prospects stall, right, in the typical measurement process of a pipeline, it would be 25%, 50% or 75%. Let's pretend in this instance, it's 50% and you're starting to see a lot of prospects stall or even disengage. The challenge with measuring the pipeline based on where you think you are in your sales process does not give you any indication or enlighten you at all on where you need to improve to help that prospect make the decision because your pipeline is so focused on what you do and how you measure it. So at 50% and you're starting to see prospects stall, you might turn and say, well, we need to improve in our value proposition. We're not clearly defining it and appropriately communicating it. Oh, and then we need the marketing material to correctly communicate. Right. The value proposition. So we're waiting on marketing at this point. It's always marketing. <laughs> it's fault. always marketing. Poor marketing. But in that example, that could be a determination that you make. You could say, okay, we are not doing a good job at getting this level of decision maker in. So we need to get better at bringing that level of decision maker in. All right, fair enough. You might even say, okay, we're not engaging that prospect enough and getting them to buy into what we're doing. So we got to get better at how we position things along the way and how we use our demo to lead to the presentation. If that's the scenario, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. You're spending a lot of time and effort trying to improve the wrong things. 
I mean, we're not saying that you shouldn't get better at presenting. We're not saying it's not important because it is important to try to make sure you have the right decision makers in the room. But again, those are still based on your observations as a salesperson. But if you flip it and you start looking at your pipeline from the eyes of your prospect, you're going to determine different skills that need to be improved if you start getting stuck at 50%. Because when you look at it, you say, okay, we're not getting enough presentations and you start measuring it based on how your prospects make decisions, the answer to that becomes more around you're not asking enough good questions regarding impact. That prospect is able to leave your meetings and they're not connecting the future narrative of their business or how they run their organization or how they run the department. They're not connecting that narrative to what happens if we actually spend the time to improve this and what happens if we don't spend the time to improve this. And if they're not connecting that, the motivation or the incentive for them to want to sit through your presentation diminishes. But if they connect that impact, that motivation increases because they now have ownership because they were able to create that future vision of potentially partnering with you and solving it. Dan, what do you want the listeners to walk away from this episode with? Stop spending so much time thinking through and evaluating your conversations from your perspective. Make the shift to trying to evaluate your conversations through the perspective of your prospect. That'd be number one. Dan, what's one question that our listeners can be thinking about? The question I want them to be thinking about is, how are they currently measuring their pipeline? Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?